What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 33 of True North Talk featuring Peter Burnett and myself, Joseph Staten. Now, today we're going to dive into a subject that is near and dear to every Christian's heart, and that is the subject of the true consequences of sin, the true ramifications of sin, and really how one little seed of sin can lead us to have so many problems in our lives. Um, and also how we can guard against that and some of some practical steps to ensure date on a daily basis that we are putting ourselves in a position to be safeguarded from the consequences of sin that we're going to talk about in this episode. So uh, to dive into this, we had Romans chapter one and two picked out. Specifically, we're going to start in one eighteen and go through two uh, verse 16. So I mean, without further ado, we can just go ahead and dive into the scripture, unless you have uh, something you want to preface it with, Peter. But if not, you can just pick up uh, Romans one eighteen. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to add also that we'll see how it fits into the episode, but another thing we'll be talking about is how judgment is kind of saved for, for God to do, and it's important for us to focus on cleaning up ourselves first and living with repentance um, before we point the finger at other people. But yeah, picking up here in Romans chapter one, verse 18. And Joe, just stop me at at any point if you want to add something or if you have a question. The wrath of of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. All right, I'm gonna stop you there. Actually, already. Yeah, (laughs) that's. I I figured. I figured you probably would. So. I mean, yeah. Any thoughts on that? I think it's certainly applicable. I mean, I know it's easy. Something that I think is kind of a trope throughout history, especially in the church, is to always say oh, we're living in like the, the worst of times, you know, it's, it's never been worse than this, the godlessness and the wickedness. Um, and I think, I think that is partially true. I think the further that we get away from when Jesus actually walked to the earth, we certainly see more again, godlessness and wickedness. Um, but, but I, I just wanted to add as a point, I think it's sometimes an overreaction when us, especially as Christians are like, Oh, you know, we've never seen evil or godlessness on this scale before. Um, but on another point, I I think what stands out to me about this is probably verse nineteen, and going into a couple of a little bit, a little bit of verse twenty as well is since what what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, so that people are without excuse. And so I think mm. that's very interesting because that conflicts, right? With what people say about God, right? They say like, you, you can't see God. It's, you know, if, if he does exist, him, he's, know. he's absent. He isn't doing anything to make the world a better place. So yeah, I think that contradicts kind of common, common thinking nowadays. Yeah, I've been listening to, I told you before the episode, I've been studying the the topic of, it's called presuppositional apologetics. And it is essentially the idea, and I I think we probably should dedicate an entire episode for this idea, to be quite honest, because it's so, you know, there's a lot to it. And we could not possibly even begin to break it down in a section of this episode. But the whole idea is that uh, in order for 
like anybody to debate the idea of God's existence. They have to constantly borrow from the fact that he, that he exists in order to justify their opinion. So a good example of this and why this is relevant here, 18 through 20, is because oftentimes you'll hear like an atheist argue or say that they just they can't find proof. They can't find evidence. They don't know God exists. Um, no matter how hard they try, they just cannot believe in God. And an interesting point that I heard recently, and one of my favorite pastors, Jeff Durbin from Apologia Studios in uh, Arizona, he has Apologia Church down there too, but online his, his channel is Apologia Studios, teaches that you know when we are witnessing to others, should we take what they are saying about you know about their their position, or should we take what God says about them? And what God says about them is that He's made it plain to them that He exists. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. People are without excuse. It's so obvious. It's literally so obvious. And I heard an analogy made. It was like for an atheist to deny God's existence, it's like their whole life they play a game of whack-a-mole, like trying to, trying to keep, keep down the fact that he, that he exists because we are, so, we are made in the image of God. Even looking in the mirror, it's like you see God in the mirror. You know, We're made in the image of God. Um, there's so many analogies, you know, the fact that it's like, <clears throat> if you see something that, that's built like a house, like if you see a house that's built, you're going to know there was builders, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way that you look at creation, you know, there's a creator. So I think it's important to read this section here because this is really the baseline idea behind anybody who desires to witness to others. Uh, they need to understand that God has made a plain to all that he exists. And so that they are without excuse. And, you know, it also asks the question, um, I'm curious what you think about this, Peter, but, uh, you know, the idea people say, well, there's people in the world that never hear the gospel. They never have a chance to, to get their hands on a Bible. You know, does God send, send them to hell? I think that this addresses that as well, because it says that people are without excuse, all are without excuse. And that there is a, there's another verse actually that goes alongside this and it says all are without excuse. But, um, I don't know. What do you think about that? The idea that people some people don't hear the gospel. Well, I think it's a point that with my, with my dad being a pastor, I've heard him, him say before, but I think it's, you know, from directly from the source here in verse 20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, again, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. Again, that would be creation so that people are without excuse. So, yeah, I think, even if they don't have the understanding of the full picture of the Christian faith, which would be, you know, obviously the creation of the world and then the fall of man, all the the history that comes in the Old Testament leading up to the ultimate sacrificial lamb replacing the sacrifices that needed to be made in the Old Testament times with the birth of Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless life that he lived, and then dying on the cross. So even without that knowledge, though, there is evidence out there, as this verse says, for a creator and an ultimate an ultimate being that exists with, again, eternal power and divine nature. And yeah, that, that would be what I would say is kind of an answer to, you know, again, that question of like, what about people that are out deep in the the Amazon jungle or deep in you know the in Siberia or something like that there's still 
evidence, and I would almost say more evidence in places like that because of the natural beauty that, that a, a god does exist. And obviously, our belief is that it is the god of the Bible. Yeah, man, there's so many examples about how, I mean, we could go down the list. That 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 is something I absolutely love studying is the secular arguments and the proof for God, because we can sit here and talk about the scripture all we want, right? But the basic common sense um, reasons that we know God exists, uh, you know, we could even talk about, we, you know, the, the, and I'm saying about, you know, atheism in, in particular, because that's, I feel like that's the most common teaching that right now that kind of goes against Christianity, especially in the school system, evolution, you know, materialism, that, that we only live with material uh, things in our world, but it's so clear and obvious that immaterial things we rely on for, for, for basic necessities of life, like laws of logic. You know, we all, we all acknowledge the laws of logic exist. We depend on laws of logic to have this conversation. You know, another thing I, I was hearing was like, <laughs> his pastor was given a, a sermon and he began basically, you know, he was talking about the laws of logic that we depend on, which come from God, immaterial. They're not material. Um, but he was, you know, he started talking in gibberish and the crowd was like, what are you doing, dude? Like, this is not making any sense. You know, he started saying random words like, I don't know, you could, you could, you could say whatever you want, you know, mm-hmm. just out of the blue. And he was like, did that for like 30 seconds. And he was like, all right, so now you guys understand why we need laws of logic because the laws of logic tell us you can't just mumble and, and make a point, right? It doesn't make any sense. Right. That is one example, again, of, of a reason for God's existence. These immaterial items that we all know are there, right? Mathematics. Two okay. plus two is always going to be four. How is that? You know, the, the uniformity in nature. So it goes on and on. I find that fascinating to think about. Um, but I think all those reasons and more is what this is talking about here. So I'll go ahead and pick up 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about about God for a lie and worshiped and served and created things rather than the, rather than the creator who is forever praised. Uh, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned national, natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Uh, noticing any, uh, you know, any parallels with, with what's being talked about here with our current society? Oh yeah, All, from from the beginning of this passage that you've read, definitely. Um, I, I kind of like the although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and I think that just shows that trying to, you know, in trying to find some other explanation for why we're here on on this earth and in this universe, you know, there's all these different theories and, you know, the scientific community is, has, I guess, settled for the most part on believing that the quote unquote big bang is what caused creation. And so I, I definitely kind of appreciate, I guess, verse 22, 
Um, and then obviously, yeah, the it's picking up from verse 24 through 27, talking about the sinful desires of their hearts, exchanging the truth about God for a lie, and then having these unnatural sexual relations, again, going away from the created plan of one man and one woman. <clears throat> yeah, and it makes sense that, I mean, without the scriptural foundation of marriage and the basically the holy order of things in the universe, man and woman, you know, becoming one flesh as we're, as we're taught in the Bible. Um, obviously we have natural inclinations, like men are naturally attracted to women and vice versa, but it's pretty easy to understand without God, how some of those things can quickly become, you know, degenerate. Hmm. And yeah, it's just, you, you know, when you are, when you abandon the most basic understanding of life, you're going to quickly your thinking is going to become futile and, mm. and your hearts were darkened. It kind of reminds me of, you know, when God hardened Pharaoh's heart, you know, it's, yep. it's like, it's not exactly the same situation, but it, in some ways it is because if somebody, if it's true, which we, we claim that, and we know that God's word is, is true, all of it. Uh, you know, if it's true that God has made it plain to them, then it makes sense that it says right here for all the, although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him and their hearts were darkened. I mean, if you choose, if you choose to keep pushing that down, you're going to pay the penalty for it. And, um, you know, another analogy, I, I told you about the lifelong game of whack-a-mole, but another thing I heard was like, imagine, you know, you ever been in a pool and you have like a, a ball that you're like holding down, but it keeps trying to come up, you know, to the surface or whatever. Yeah. I think, I think we all did that as kids. Yeah. So like, I don't know, just whatever type of ball, basketball or something like that. Of like that ball is always trying to put pop up and eventually it'll pop up because you just can't keep it down forever. That's like an, an, another analogy I heard and a really good one for the knowledge of God within all of us, right? We can try to push it down all we want. We can try to, you know, come up with all these reasons and, and push it down, but it pops, it, it, it's going to, for our whole life, it's going to try to pop, pop up. And if we continually lie to ourselves, really, that's what it is. Um, we are going to face the penalty. So that's kind of what I take from that. Definitely. Yeah. And I think if we want to dive into the next passage, I think that kind of provides further examples of what this degeneracy and this separation from God looks like. I can pick up in verse 28. Yeah, definitely. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Wow. Yeah, that, that very is, end one, that, that end there, I'm not sure about you, but that really sticks out to me, the yeah. last sentence. Yeah, for sure. Like approving of it, you know, mm -hmm. coming out and basically praising it. I mean, I never thought I saw, I, I would see the day where that is happening a lot, but it's, it's happening all the time in our culture. I keep, you know, shameless plug here for the YouTube channel, Uncommon Sense, but I, I keep <laughs> making videos about this, you know, really the normalization of, you know, the sexualizing of children and 
people openly approving of it. Hmm. It's it's complete depravity. I mean, talk about wickedness. And yeah, it's just. I mean, there's a, there's a long list of, of side effects that are going to come here from, you know, distancing yourself from the truth. But it, it makes total sense to me. Definitely. And I think for all of us, you know, obviously Christians and non-Christians, I think all of these types of sins here are reminders of what we need to avoid and what we need to steer clear of in life. You know, hmm. I can I can go through and read read each of these again, but um, you know, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, which is basically I think malice would be just kind of hate for for another human, um, gossips again something that seems quote unquote harmless is obviously here indicated as being wrong, um, slanderers kind of same thing lying about another person, god haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful inventing ways of doing evil basically saying that even some of the things that aren't listed here are <laughs> are also ways of of doing evil and disobedience ways. i think I, yeah i definitely think that's interesting it just kind of leaves an open end for even sins that aren't listed here but i i think verse 31 is maybe the most like I'm trying to think of what the word is here but it it just kind of hits home, gripping, yeah, whatever you want to call it. They have no understanding, no fidelity or like trust, trustworthiness, no love, and no mercy. And then again, yeah, what you said about thirty-two. I think it's also interesting the although they know God's righteous decree, I think like you said, kind of that logic and that um, is it is it abject morality or object morality? Objective morality. Objective morality. You know, we all have that, and I think as human beings, especially human beings who have any understanding of Scripture, even you know, even non-Christians, understand that there are standards. But society as a whole, in so many different ways, chooses to ignore those, or you know, potentially even further than just ignore to call out those things as being hateful or or biased or, or bigoted or whatever buzzword you want to throw in there. And so, yeah, I think 32 and, you know, the verses before, this is all very, very powerful and very, very, very relevant to today. Yeah. And and when you, when you think about foolishness, that's really what hit me was, um, like objective morality. When you just mentioned that it's, foolishness because somebody who does not claim objective morality, somebody who does not adhere to a, a, an ultimate standard that is no matter what it's fail proof, they cannot claim, for example, that Auschwitz and the, and the Holocaust was evil. They can't. They, they say, well, you know, in that society, if, if most people agreed that morally that was okay, then I, I technically I can't say that that was wrong because nobody really, you know, everybody has their own opinion. It's, it's subjective. Hmm. It's, it's foolish. We all know that's ridiculous. We all know as human beings, what happened at, for example, at Auschwitz was heinous, right? It's heinous. That, that is the foolishness that comes from a worldview that is void of belief in God. It's foolish. Mm. It's, 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 you know, talk about logic. It's void of logic. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I said, every time that somebody tries to argue from a godless perspective of really anything, they're depending and borrowing ideas 
from the Christian worldview. They're borrowing moral ideas. They're assuming that, you know, in the arguments that they're making, that, you know, that you should have good faith in the debate with them because why? Because we're made in the image of God. Well, they're borrowing from your worldview. Hmm. Why, would, why would really anything matter if we're in a, in a universe, like you said, that we're taught about the Big Bang and scientifically just material things existing and no God? Then why does anything matter? Why would, it, why would we ever reason with one another? Nothing matters ultimately. We're just bags of protoplasm floating through a meaningless universe. So there's no point of even talking about anything hmm. at the end of the day because we're all just going to die. It's just that is the foolishness that comes from a godless worldview. So... I don't know. Did you have anything else that you want to say, or do you want to go ahead and move on to two? No, I, th- I think that wrapped it up perfectly, and I, and I do think pit verse or chapter two does pick up. And the the reason I say that I know be- before the podcast, Joe and I were kind of talking about how we would fit these two passages together, but the second verse in chapter two, verse one, you therefore, I I had a youth pastor that always used to say. When there's a therefore in the Bible, you need to see what the therefore is there for. And so Hmm. I think with with the knowledge that we have from verse one, just about the the godlessness, the turning away from God, the denying God and all the sins that are a side effect of that. I think it flows perfectly into into chapter two. And again, just just stop me whenever you have anything that you want to add or or any any questions or anything. So for sure, again, it's the the subtitle here is God's righteous judgment. You, therefore, have no excuse. You pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge another. You are condemning yourself because you pass judgment because you who, who pass judgment do the same things kind of to pull from a different scriptural passage. You know, don't point at the speck in someone else's eye when you have a log in your own. But picking back up in verse 2 of of Romans 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things, such things referring, I assume, back to um, chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Hmm. It kind of reminds me of a, a book I read called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And one of the principles in there was never criticize or complain. And I think a lot of these, you know, we've, we've talked about Think and Grow Rich. We've talked about various self-improvement type of books and knowledge Um, I think a lot of these principles are, you know, so obvious and so universal that they present themselves in places other than the Bible. So, you know, this reading it here, it just is like, it's, it makes total sense because the second you criticize somebody, the second you start condemning others, you are setting yourself up for failure because you're, Mm. I mean, we're, like it says, we're mere human beings. We, We are going to fail. It's just a matter of time. Right. And the idea I don't know. Something I've been thinking about recently is, excuse me, sanctification, right? So mm-hmm. we know that from when we become saved uh, and as we grow older in life, we should be maturing as a Christian. That's why, you know, in First John, you know, there's kind of a progression. He, he, he goes from calling, you know, new Christians, newborns, to, you know, infants to, to young men and then to men. Um, there's kind of, there should be a progression in our sanctification. Like we should, we should become more sanctified, um, over time. 
but even something I've been thinking about is how, like, what is the balance between holding yourself to a higher standard because you know the truth and because you are a practicing Christian, but also having grace because we are mere human beings and we're, we are sinful creatures. So I don't know if you have a perspective on that, but that's just something I've been considering. Um, how do you balance that, you know, having expectation with, with our fallen nature? Yeah, actually, it's it's perfect because I literally just saw something about this, and it, it isn't like this. I don't know if it's a quote that comes from somewhere, or just kind of an idea. It's not necessarily scripturally like totally backed, but I think it is applicable. Is to be um, what's what's the word? Uh, I lost it. I literally just had it. Um, to be, it, it's it's you. You're strict with yourself, and you are. Um, oh man, why can't I think of the word? Gracious. I guess I'll replace it with gracious. It's another word, but I can't. I can't think of it. You're you're gracious with others and strict with yourself, because at the end of the day, we can't change how how other people think or how they live their lives. We can provide the best influence, the best advice, the best support that we can, but at the end of the day, it's for them to make the changes in their life. And so we have to be gracious with other people, but strict with ourselves. And, you know, we've talked about this in another episode. It's not beating yourself down with guilt, but it's having conviction and understanding that you need to make changes in yourself before you can even hope to impact others. Hmm. As within, so without. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I don't know. It's it's a tough it's a tough thing to think about because I don't know. I hold myself to a very high standard. I feel like you do too. And um, you know, we sin. We're we're sinful creatures. And and when I fall short, I I I am always so frustrated because um, I am you know I dearly love the Lord and I I just hate sin, bro. I hate it. But it's just you know we are fallen creatures and. You know, it is inevitable we will sin. That's why I'm saying, you know, right here and what we just read, that's why it's so important to not judge. And I really can't understand the Christians who do that because they exist. Hmm. I don't understand, like, how do you not realize? How are you not, are you not self aware to understand that if you are somebody that's going to sit up on your perch and criticize, that you're, you are probably exponentially more sinful than the person you're criticizing? Hmm. I don't understand that. So, I don't know. That's my thoughts on it. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll pick up in verse five here. I'll, I don't know why I can't think of that word. It's like on the tip of my tongue, but I can't think of it. But anyways, move, moving on to verse five here. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. That is quoting from um, Psalms sixty-two, twelve, and Proverbs twenty-four, twelve. It's it's in quotes here from from what I'm reading. Picking back up, verse seven: To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. 
for God does not show favoritism. Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, again, I, I think that glory, honor, and peace are very, very good words to describe what does happen when you are doing good. Like it says, those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Uh, the, the prevailing thing that always, I always feel, you know, when I'm seeking the Lord is, is peace. It's overwhelming peace. It's something you can't really describe to others who are not saved, but it is, um, I think it's a piece that comes and you can give me your opinion on this, Peter, if you have one, but I think it's a piece that comes just because <laughs> as a human being, you feel like you've, you've kind of answered life's hardest question, you know, hmm. like no matter what happens, we know, we know the ultimate purpose here. We know why we're here. We know the creation story. We know our creator. We have relationships relationship with him. We can describe all the things that chapter one was saying lead to, you know, devolution of character and, uh, foolishness. We can, we can explain why we should avoid those things. I think that's why the peace comes, but I don't know. That's, that's my opinion. No, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think to, to add on to that, it shows that when we pursue those godly standards and that godly way of life of, you know, God's glory, honor, and uh, immortality, it says here, and not seeking ourselves and rejecting the truth, we will be given eternal life. And yeah, again, it does lead to, to peace. And yeah, so I think it's kind of under underscores the importance of pursuing godly character traits and pursuing, you know, God's God's heart and living by his standards, not the standards of the world and, you know, denying, denying the existence of God. Yeah, absolutely. I can go ahead and read 12 through 16 to finish up unless you want to read it. Go ahead. Yep. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Uh, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at others, at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Dang. <laughs> I mean... It's a little tough to break down. Yeah. Do you have a any lot thoughts of, on verse 14 and 15? I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about originally about, again, that objective morality that even, you know, at, at this point, the Gentiles were anybody outside of Israel or maybe, you know, kind of the surrounding area around Israel. And at that point, obviously, those people were kind of like the people that we talked about now of you know, lacking the knowledge. And so again, it, it shows, it's saying here when they do by nature things required by the law. And so when, again, when they follow the morality, just to use it again, that kind of over uh, overarching umbrella term, when they do that, they kind of create, create for themselves the, the law, even though they do not have the law. And it shows, like it says here, that it's written on their hearts their consciousness, consciences also bearing witness, 
and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times even defending them. What what are your thoughts on that last part? Because I think up until that last kind of clause there at the end, it definitely makes sense to me and follows along with when we live by God's moral compass, we're living by the law, but I'm not exactly sure, to be honest, how to break down that last part of verse 15. Uh, well, going back to 13, it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will mm. be declared righteous. Obviously, this is after, you know, Jesus fulfilled the law. So we don't live under the bounds of the Old Testament law that, you know, the the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin would, you know, be so passionate to, to enforce and, depend, and defend. Um, but I actually looked this up real quickly, like a commentary on it, and something... There's a commentary from Bible reference that says, uh, Paul wrote that the Gentiles, though not given God's law or required to follow it, may end up keeping parts of the law by nature by just listening to their own conscience. Hmm. This is similar to his point from the prior chapter that God makes certain ideas obvious to all people. Now, Paul makes it clear that this does not mean Gentiles with this awareness always do the right thing. What it does mean, apparently, is that the same God who gave the Israelites the law also built it into the heart of all people. Uh, also built into the heart of all people a sense of what is right and wrong. It is the human conscience that condemns us when we do wrong and defends us when we do right. The conscience, though, is not a perfect standard. It is flexible. It can be hardened or softened. That's why Paul refers to our conflicting thoughts as the conscience talks to us about the morality of our choices. So conflicting thoughts come from our own doing of repeatedly sinning and hardening our, our conscience or searing our conscience. The conscious is not a, it's not a, you know, a rock as it says it is, it is flexible. So we, you know, by our own doing, we can either fortify our conscience in God's word, or we can sear it through, through sin and and degeneracy. Hmm. So I don't know. That's my thoughts. Did I answer your question? You actually, yeah, you did with the the commentary. I also just kind of honestly needed a couple more seconds to just think about it. Because sometimes, I don't know, I feel like sometimes some verses in scripture are almost written like a riddle. And maybe some of that just comes from the style or just because of the, you know, obviously it's been translated so many different times from, from its original um, Hebrew or this this might be Greek. But but I kind of, to, to, to break it down, I think the, the conscience is their thoughts sometimes accusing them. I think that would imply when they mess up their consciences, even without the knowledge of the Jewish law, tells them, and again, the same thing I think applies today for people who don't have knowledge of the Bible, it, you know, kind of calls calls themselves out and they realize that they did something wrong. And then I think at other times defending them would be when they do follow what's in in the law and what's what's in their own conscience. Yeah, I was I always find it um not necessarily confusing, but what are your thoughts on like how how closely should we study the Old Testament law? Cuz there's certain aspects of it that are clearly like inapplicable now, like, you know, animal animal sacrifice, um, you know, your per- certain parts of your body being unholy for certain periods of time, you know, all that type of thing, but I mean, what do you what do you think about as far as how closely should we study that law? Do you think it's useful or not really? I think it's certainly useful 
otherwise it wouldn't still be a part of the Bible, which I believe is fully stamped and, you know, with God's inspiration behind it. Uh, I think it kind of just provides also an idea that Jesus came to live and die for us so that we don't have to follow all of these laws. But I think there are still certainly just just kind of general points that translate over to the New Testament. I mean, a lot of those laws are about, you know, not stealing from your neighbor or or if you do, then you pay them back, you know, twice as much what you stole, that, that sort of thing. Um, so I think it's it's kind of two-sided there. In one sense, it shows us that, especially like the animal sacrifice side of it, is replaced by the life and death of Jesus. But at the same time, again, some of those general standards are ones that are affirmed by the New Testament. Yeah, I was just I was just curious what your thoughts were on that. It's always interesting hearing kind of the thoughts on it, and uh, I don't know. I I do enjoy looking at the law. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of good aspects to it. Um, I mean, I mean, there's many laws that are like like Paul says are written on our hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, especially the the Ten Commandments. It's pretty incredible. That's 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 something that um, you know we didn't have in, in written form the Ten Commandments before they were given, uh, but you have to, I mean, it's been written on our, on our hearts and our consciences from the beginning, from the very beginning. Isn't that incredible to think about? Yeah. Like the, just the idea that our consciences can have moral laws ingrained into them. Like, what does that even look like? Like what, what is the conscious? Where is it located? That's my question. Hmm. <laughs> so real, real quick. Also, this has, I, I noted this and I'm glad I did cause I wasn't sure where it was. For those who don't know, I've been reading through Psalms and Proverbs and the New Testament. That's a big part of why we're reading through this, because I just, I think I'm finishing up Romans tomorrow. But in chapter 30, or in chapter 3, verse 31, it kind of, I think, answers the question, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And so I think it's, what that is saying to me is that, again, we don't have to be anal about following the law like the, um, you know, religious leaders of the time, of Jesus's time were, and again, also doing it for selfish motives and their own gain. But by living through faith, and uh, really chapter three talks a lot about what that faith looks like, but by living with that faith, we are upholding the law anyways. And so I think that kind of, I would say answers what what you were asking as well about about the law. Yeah, definitely not a question that I think deri- was derived. Well, maybe I guess from our text, uh, just something I was curious about. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think that uh, kind of wraps everything up, man. We we kind of covered a lot of ground, and I mean, the prevailing theme here is that you know if we are not prioritizing Christ in our life. Um, all types of things tend to devolve pretty quickly. And it's crazy. That's that's kind of what I was thinking about when I mentioned um, sanctification. It's crazy even for somebody who's saved that we have to be so diligent with sin. It creeps up. It is, you know, the enemy is looking to, to destroy us. He, he seeks to destroy us. You know, he's always looking for ways to sneak into our lives. And even though, the, talking about misconceptions, 
you know, that's a massive misconception is that when you become saved that, you know, oh, everything is perfect. Everything is great. Everything is easy. No, Mm -hmm. if anything, it gets harder, you know, because now you're aware of all your, your shortcomings and you have to try that much harder to, to live for God. Now, is it always extremely hard? No, but I mean, to think that it's just going to be easy is a misconception. So that's, that's another misconception that I just thought about, but, uh, closing thoughts, unless you had any. Yeah, just to to talk about misconceptions, I know we didn't really lead with this as a main topic, but the reason I wanted to talk about, especially Romans 2, 1 through 16, was that the world often thinks that Christians are judgmental, and there certainly are Christians who, or at least people who claim to be Christians, that live up to that. But like we saw in the beginning of, of chapter 2, and to reference... Um, a, a story or a parable from from Jesus in in the new te- in the Gospels is you know if you point out the speck in your own eye you're ignoring the log in your own eye and you're in the wrong for doing that and like uh, early here in Romans two it says that um, you know when we when we judge other people we're really judging ourselves as well because we fall to you know, those same, same mistakes, the same sins, or even, even other, other, you know, obviously other, other sins as well. And so, yeah, I just kind of wanted to close with that, that, you know, the world, yeah, the world is, is in many ways far from God, but we, we as well, even as Christians fall into that, into many of the same sins. And while we might not live in those sins, again, we certainly fall into them, you know, in, really day-to-day life and that's kind of the the closing point that i wanted to make but i think some some very powerful stuff from from this these two chapters in romans and i mean there's a lot of stuff i mean reading over the last couple of days there's so much powerful really a lot of deep stuff also in romans that i would strongly suggest listeners go go and read it's it's a it's a great book of the bible yeah, absolutely. And I think something else to close with for our listeners is that, um, as, as it says in Romans 1, you know, God has made it plain to all of us that he's real. And if you're listening to this episode and you're not sure about your relationship with God or you're, you're, you've not committed your life to Christ yet, I want you to really think about that and think about all the different things that we talked about and really ask yourself, is my life resembling any of these things because more than likely if you're not following Jesus it is Hmm. and um, you know if you if you seek him you'll find him and if you seek first the kingdom of God all the all the beauty and blessings of life will be added unto you we are told that Matthew 633 Um, and I just want to go ahead and pray if you're willing Peter to for our listeners that God may open the eyes of their heart so they can uh, come to repentance of course Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity, as always, to to uh, chop it up on the podcast with Peter today, and so grateful for another day of life and opportunity to speak to others freely in our country about our faith, um, which is a blessing I think we often take for granted. But I just pray that whoever's listening to this episode, God, they would realize some of the things in their life, Lord, if, if they don't know you yet, if they've not committed your life, their life to you yet, I pray that they would. I uh, pray that this would be their call. Um, I pray that they would begin reading and 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 listening and seeking you, Lord, with all their heart, and that you would just continue to real, reveal to them even more how much you are real and how much you are directly involved in their life. 
I just pray that they would come to repentance and realize the true power of your word and the incredible nature of the fact that we can have a relationship with you. All these things I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, with that being said, uh, that's episode 33 in the books. If you guys made it this far, make sure you like and rate the podcast on Apple and Spotify. And we will see you all next week. Peace out. Peace.